We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right. Uh, if anyone else wants this, we, you know, we'll take one more. I don't think call it. Jesus Christ. I sound like I'm listening to the fan in 2005. If we have anyone else that wants to talk about the Evan uh, versus Grimes, quote unquote, debate. If we do, not, I'll let him out right now. OK, Joe, thank you for coming on. We appreciate you. No uh, problem, guys. Thank you. Thanks for the conversation, man. And thanks for the, uh, the perspective. We appreciate it a lot. Fats, you're up on stage, man. What's up? Hey, what's up, man? Um. I just wanted to have a little pushback on the guy that just talked previously. I feel like Fournier, like you said, Fournier would be better off off the bench just because of the fit and how, you know, he, he's not really a playmaker, as good as a playmaker as everybody make it seem. He needs he needs to be on movement and he needs somebody to set it up. And the, the, the second union unit, sorry, they are better with ball movement. They move around. They run. Fournier, as, even though Fournier is not fast, but he likes to run. He likes to move off screens. He likes to, you know, run in fast break and go to the corner for the three. Like, he likes to do that, and that's what the sec- second unit does. And also, he's not as good as a defender. But one thing I can say about Fournier is he's a good stealer. Like, he's great at stealing, and that also complements the second unit. unit because that gets them on fast breaks, and that's great for OB, that's great for IQ, that's great for D-Rose. And I feel like he'll just fit better with the second unit. But I also feel like most people want Fournier off the team mostly because of their love, their their 
love for Cam Reddish and what they feel like he could be. And I'm not 100% sold on Cam Reddish, but I do feel like Cam Reddish should get some burn, get some playing time. And I feel like since Fournier isn't part of our future, I feel like, you know, I understand why people want Fournier off the team since Cam Reddish could, Cam Reddish could possibly be part of the future. But I also feel like um, Fournier is not the big problem. Like, like Sean said, if it's somebody that's going to be traded, that should be traded is definitely not Fournier. And I feel like we all know who that guy is, to be honest. Yeah, I think you make a really good point about the steals, man. I'm going to speak, uh, I, you know, I don't like to defend Evan's defense, no pun intended, because it's really bad. It is. <laughs> but he did come out and say, he did come out and say a content day that um, it was tough for him last year defensively when he was focusing so much on the offense and trying to, to fit in the new scheme. And especially when you see how poorly he was fitting in because of his misutilization. I think you got to throw him a bone, man, because once it got to the end of the year is when he started getting those steals. And I bet if you – I might do it after this space. I mean, you, uh, you might have inspired me to go look at the breakdown of when those steals started occurring at that higher rate. And if you applied that to the whole season, what he would have averaged. Because I'm really curious to see – um, you know, what it would have been. He looked a lot more comfortable defensively once he did have the offense a little more down pat. Is that a bad excuse? Yes. But does it seem to be an existent one? I, I also guess so. Like, like the dog ate the homework. Like, all right, like, that's an awful excuse to not just go print another copy. But, like, if it's bite marks on the essay, like, I guess it happened. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like Fournier is I feel like Fournier really um struggled with Kimba in the lineup and I love Kimba and I was sad at how that everything went down with him. Putting but, those two together was defensive. That was that was a horrible choice. That was that, that was a horrible choice defensively, offensively, because Kimba is just not who he is and who he was. And I feel like we had hope and it was a flyer to see what he can do and if he can be who he was. It was a one year thing, but that that combination of them two, and I don't, and I feel like people were scared of Fournier and Jalen Brunson, and I don't feel like we can put Jalen Brunson in the same category as Kemba defensively. Jalen Brunson is not a cone. He he got a little dog. Yeah, he him. has a dog. Like he'll fight. Like, he's not gonna just get blown past every single time he's defending somebody. Like he has strength enough to at least stay in front of the person where Mitch could back him up. Way better than Mitch could back up Kimba, and I feel like Kimba being the the point guard really did not help the entire team last year. Like, at all. I mean, Tom Thibodeau, Tom Thibodeau has made like one starting lineup change in two years, and, and it was removing Kemba. I don't think you that's how strongly he talked about it. That guy never changes his starting lineup because he determines it before the year and just sticks to it. He wanted to get rid of that guy at all costs, and he had to play him again because of injury, and then he had a good game. He was forced to keep playing him. Uh, he was not happy about that. Yeah, and I can't really blame him for it, and I love Kimba, and I was so mad about how that went down. But, okay, you got to take the emotions out of it, and he was bad. He was horrible last year. Like, he was horrible. And I feel like I feel like Fournier, Fournier gets a lot of blame for what Kimba, like how bad the pairing looked. When if you take Kemba out the starting lineup, Fournier defensively wasn't. I mean, he was still pretty bad, but he wasn't as bad. Like like he wasn't as bad as he was with Kemba. And I feel like, and plus with the um with the trade scenario, I feel like it was more so of the length of the contract and not the money of the contract. 
because he has three more years left on his contract. So I feel like after this year, it'll yeah. be easier for them to trade Fournier than it was this well, prior year. Yeah, right now the only thing they can trade him for is a worse contract and and get picks back. Pretty much. Um, I can say that there's a an Eastern Conference team that offered a, a player whose salary would match Evans over the offseason mm-hmm. with some second-round picks as the sweetener for the Knicks. And it was the same amount of money, but the other guy's deal was longer. And the Knicks were like, yeah, that's not worth it. Yeah, they might as well just play it out with Fournier. And I feel like – I really feel like Fournier on the bench will probably work the best. And it will make him look better to the, to the rest of the league. Like, it will show them that – he can actually, you know, do something with the team. Like, he can be a spark plug off the bench for a playoff team. And I feel like if we showed them that this year, it will be way easier to get off the contract if that's what they really want. I'm not sure if they really want to do that or if Tibbs himself wants to do that. Yeah, I hear you, man. Listen, thank you for calling in. I'm saying calling in, too. Thank you for uh, for requesting to speak. Thanks for talking with us. I think, you know, that was a very productive conversation in terms of, like, as opposed to just whining about players and trying to fast-track them to whatever other team. Like, can we take two seconds to look in the mirror and be like, is there something we could do better as a team? Uh, So, yeah, thank you. Sean, I want to let you pivot here. Take us to to our next and final topic as as we get ready to, to carry on. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So the last topic actually kind of brings everything that we've spent the past hour and and change five five minutes discuss hour and change discussing, um, and that is how both of these issues or topics, you know, the media, media, the media access or lack thereof, and the Fournier versus Grimes debate is a microcosm of the struggles the front office has had. Um, I think for me, I have been, I've been, I've been more supportive of the front office um, than, you know, many people. I think, well, I would say when it comes to the front office, I think it's split. Like I would say it's like 60, 40 in favor. I mean, I do think there's like a very loud contingent, of the fan base that's against the front office, but again, they're loud, but I don't think they're the majority. Um, but I just think that, and Jonathan kind of alluded to it when he was on earlier about, you know, they just, like, they, like, for example, the media policy, they do it. Does it matter? Does it affect wins? Not necessarily. They do it for a reason, but why do they have to do it? Uh, Fournier versus Grimes, it's like, all right. You could start if you start Fournier, it's not the end of the world. If you started Grimes, that probably makes more sense. Um, especially if you know, for everything you said, you know, in your letters and your and your conversations with Alan Hahn, but why do you do it? And it's just like it just seems just like this front office had just has I think they have this, they have their they have the way they want to go about things and have a way they want to go about doing certain things and they're almost stubborn to it and when the easy option is there or, or the or the quote-unquote good-looking options there they don't take it because they're like we have a we have a plan we have a direction we're sticking to it and even when it, a pivot would help they don't pivot they just stick to it 
uh, and then, you know, what, if things don't go well, like, well, they're not quote unquote held accountable because they don't talk to the media, right? So it's just that, like, I wish that they would just, and I actually had a conversation with Cedric earlier today, like, you know, it seems like they're just committed to, like, whatever their direction is. And whereas an easy move, a simple move, will make things easier for them, but they're just so committed. Like, for example, and I've said this on Spaces, up the wazoo. After the game where they lost to the Nets, but before right before the All-Star break, when they blew, like, a 28-point lead because they because we couldn't guard a Cam Thomas, LaMarcus Aldridge's pick and roll, it should have been, all right, look, Tom, we tried. This isn't working. We're shutting it down. We're moving the kit. We're we're let's let's see what we got from the kids. Whatever, but they did it. Why? Because they trusted their head coach. Is it wrong for them to trust their head coach? No. But it was like this was the easy move that actually would have been a benefit to would have benefited everyone in the everyone, but for the long term future of the organization would have made would have benefited it. But they didn't. They stuck with this race to chase the the chase the fucking 10 seed to try to get into the play-in whereas if they by some act of god they beat atlanta and then they beat the loser was was in cleveland would have had the right to get swept by miami in the play-in and then fast forward to a potential Donovan mitchell deal and you're like we have all these young kids there they're great and Nobody wants them. And like, yo, why don't you want our kids? And it's like, well, if you were so good, why didn't you play them? Why didn't you why didn't you play uh Emmanuel quickly instead of playing Alec Burst at point guard, who was so bad at point guard, there was add, a chance. Add Go Kemba. Ahead. Add Kemba to that list and add Elson yeah. to that list. Well, I was talking mostly about last season, but at least they realized at least think to their credit, with Kemba, they realized. It's over. Get him out of here, and they and they got rid of him, right? But right. So Alex they got Burks, they got rid of the they had a grandpa playing point guard, and they got rid of him, and then they went and got a swing man, and it's just like that's still not a solution. You you fix yeah. it less bad. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> and, and and they and they continue to allow the head coach to play somebody who almost had a better field goal percentage from three than from two which is not what you want for me starting point guard, right? So it was just like, yo, why didn't you just pivot? But they believe what they believed, and here they are. So it just seems as if, like, I like I understand that things that happen in New York happen under a bigger microscope. It's the heaviest jersey in the league. We get overly scrutinized. But sometimes just take – and there's, there's, some, there's something to be said about a team that has its convictions, is committed to doing things the way they believe is right. But sometimes – just take the easy fucking road. Just make the easy decision. Just do that. Don't make shit harder for yourself than it has to be. Sometimes it's good to take the path of least resistance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, what do I have to add to that, dude? You just you just nailed it. So, um, listen, I think to, to go back a little bit, what you said about just this all being a microcosm was, was great. Um, because you know the debate of do we uh, let me let me get inceptionist here the debate of do we play vets and win or play kids and develop and tank like that debate is idiotic if that debate's ever happening if you're like ever watching that happen like mute everyone involved in it 
permanently forever. If the the equivalence of playing the young kids with tanking, when factually, if we played a manual quickly over Alfred Payton, if we played a manual quickly over Kemba Walker, if we played a manual quickly over Alec Burks, if we played Quentin Grimes over Evan Fournier, if we played like the list goes on and then it goes on and then it also continues to go on of times that the Knicks have not played young players that would have been better than the veteran playing the more prominent role. So the equivalence of playing the kids with tanking, in my opinion, is you're losing from the jump, right? Like if that's your view, you're losing from the jump. And the, you know whatever you know whatever starts right, so whatever starts wrong ends wrong. Like or whatever that, however that saying goes. Um, like what are you talking about? If, if it's just not the case with this team, maybe that's the case with other teams. That's not some universal concept. So the thing, the thing with the Knicks vets versus kids debate is so skewed because the debate has been decentralized into winning versus tanking. Like, like you have people going on shows and saying stuff like, "Oh, well, the fans just want to play the kids and they just want to, you know, tank." But Tibbs actually wants to win games, so you know, you kind of got to default to his view. Why? Why do I? I? I have eyes. I'm allowed to use them. I'm allowed to draw conclusions. I'm not purporting myself as being smarter than Tom Thibodeau. Why am I not allowed to say what I think about what's happening on the court? We're all allowed to watch it. It's on video. It's on tape. Like I, We saw quickly be a better player than every single option that got started over him at point guard. I don't know why it's so bad to comment on that. Like I, I'm not like offending Tom Thibodeau by commenting on that. I don't know. It's because, well, I mean, there's the Thibodeau hive, um, of which I'm not a part of. I'm also not of the Thibodeau is a bad coach hive. I just think that's a that's stupid. Like he's not a bad coach at all. Like, um, but people people are gonna find out one day that there's a Venn diagram that exists of good coach, not the coach for the 2023 Knickerbockers. They're yes. gonna be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, they're never going to see it because this is probably Tom Thibodeau's last head coaching job, unless he's assistant somewhere and he gets and you know that the person he works for gets fired. But yes, see, Chris, what you're talking about is the idea of context and nuance, and we know in the internet that doesn't really exist in space. Um, but at the same time, I have a theory about Tom Thibodeau, and I'm waiting for the perfect time to unleash it. Uh, about how he approaches basketball. Not that I'm a basketball savant because Tom Thibodeau's probably forgot more about basketball than I've ever known. But when it comes to like Thibodeau, like people like Thibodeau does these things because he wants to win games. And I'm like, eh, I don't know about all that. But I will say this. And if anyone has a, if anyone wants to join in on the, on the discussion about the front office and how they, you know, what they've done is a microcosm of their entire regime. Please raise your hand. We'll bring you up. Uh, I, I just think that, listen, sometimes, well, listen, I don't know if you believe, I don't know if, I don't know how much you believe, you know, when Berman said that uh, in, in, during the summer that, you know, uh, sources, quote unquote, sauces, sauces, said it's close to the organization, said that Thibodeau wished he had played the kids more. Um, I don't know how much you want to believe that. If it's just if he believed that for real, if that's just PR, you know, spinning. Um, but you know, insanity is 
doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And this season, we will see if Tom Thibodeau and the front office, and that includes Leon Rose and and Walt Perrin and Brock Aller, if they're insane. Because if they do the same thing over and over and they stick to their plan and their plan doesn't work, like – like I said, they can't start four and eighteen this season. Like if they start ten, like me and Jeff talk about this all the time. I've been name dropping people like all oh, crazy. This is I'm, this is I'm sickening. If they start ten and twenty three, because it's thirty three games before Christmas. If they start ten and twenty three, Tom Thibodeau will not make it to twenty. He will not make it to the next calendar year, right? If they start four and eighteen, and I don't think they're gonna start four and eighteen. If they start four and eighteen, Mister Dolan may just say, you know what? I've had enough of all of you. Get out. Because you stuck to this plan, and three years later, I'm watching number 30 do uh, jab step, triple jab step, uh, baseline clunkers from twenty from 19 feet over and over again, going 10 to 23 from the field. I don't care if he gets 20, 10 to 5, right? So I said that this offseason will be the most important offseason in – like this offseason will probably set the path of the franchise for the next five years. Because either the moves that they made will be laying a really good, laying a solid foundation for a really good team going forward, or none of it's going to work, and they're going to have to blow everything up and then start all over again. And then we're going to be on spaces in 2027 talking about you know which you know which eighth grader right now or which kid in ninth grade right now should be getting more minutes on this team. So. Uh, that's all. That's all I got. Uh, Joe, since you're here, you have anything to say about that? And of course, anyone else, if you want anything, if you have anything to say, please raise your hand. Yeah, uh, man, <laughs> this is just such a. It feels like we are staring down a very long tunnel, and we look behind us, and the the door we came through just closed. Um, and now we got to walk down that tunnel. Like, no matter what, like, welcome to the next season of Knicks basketball. Like, we are here for better or for worse. We all know we're watching no matter what. Let's lock in. Like, it's, it's time to do this. Listen, we got, uh, we got VSN Trippy OG on stage. Let's hear what you got for us, man. What's going on? Go ahead, unmute. Can you there? Yeah, I'm here, bro. I'm here. I'm here. My phone was active. All right, what's good? Um, honestly, salute to everybody in the chat. Salute to this episode, episode one. This is fire. Been waiting for y'all to do something like this, so this is kind of lit. But um, let's go. Honestly speaking, I'm I'm like stuck in the middle with this front office and everything that went on during the front, uh, off season. It's like we had a good direction, even though. We didn't get, you know, Donovan Mitchell. It seemed like we still had a good setup the way they was going in. Then just to hear certain remarks coming from our coach about Evan still, you know, being in the front running for, like, the, the shooting guard position. It's like, okay, that's not making sense due to how y'all moved with Grimes in the trade. Then Grimes is in a walking boot. Then it's like, okay, if that's the case, does that free up minutes for Cam? Then you got Cam. He's speaking for himself. He doesn't even know his own situation with the team. It don't sound like Obi's getting no more minutes. It's it's like I, I'm I'm just confused as a fan, and it's just like I thought at least 
we would at least, you know, get the common courtesy to get a clear cut direction. You know, we at least deserve that. You didn't make a splash with the free agency. You know, you you did these iconic moves to get us some draft picks to put us in position for a bright future. But we still have no direction. And that's very, very sad. I feel like that's a slap in the face to us as fans. I, I think the direction of the front office is clear. I think the coach they have hired is not acting on that direction. And I think those can both be true. I think the direction is pretty clearly, hey, let's uh, actually run this team like a team that's worth you know running correctly and properly. Let's not just sit around on our hands until a star decides to magically join us like Steve Mills and all them did. Let's actually get to freaking work. And they got to work. Finally, in year three of the Rose regime, there's a full 10-man roster that he like pretty much has all put together himself yeah, to a degree. Right. And uh, listen, like you, you could, you know, I don't want to like name names here, but like for an example, like in politics, like it takes a couple years, for, like say like a party switch happens, right? Like, God, my analogies are ludicrous. Say a party, <laughs> switch, say a party switch happens, it takes a couple years for certain policies to actually start taking effect. Right? It's not just like some instant switch where the whole country, boom, bingo, bango, bongo, is a whole different place to live now. It takes a little bit for different things to come into effect. So Leon Rose, year three, finally has a roster that's pretty much all assembled by him. All his guys are all Tibbs's guys. Tibbs is his guy. Um, and, it, it, you know, the, the plan has just been to accrue draft capital and talented young players that they can use in trades down the line to acquire young star players that they can either extend on the spot or are already signed to long-term extensions with their hometown teams. It's pretty clear what the direction is. And and when people are like, oh, we need Leon Rose to get up on the roof of Four Penn Plaza with a loudspeaker and scream yeah, to everybody yeah, what the next plan is, it's like, what do you think that does for their leverage? If they come out and they say, yo, this is our exact plan, we already get overcharged because we're New York. Now we're going to get double, triple, quadruple, dare I say quintuple overcharged for players of any caliber because they know we're quote unquote desperate. We're not, but we said it, we said the quiet part out loud, so now we're screwed. There's no advantage. And it doesn't help that um, a certain um, gentleman goes on ESPN every Monday to ride it from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. and screams that we need someone that's box office. Let's that just doesn't not help even either. talk about that guy. Let's just leave him over there. Leave him over there, over there. Yeah, you know, I leave him over there, but I'm saying that doesn't help either. Like, just it doesn't help either. Um, but to like to um, Chris's point, I'll let you finish tripping, then we'll go to I 95 Bully. Yeah, directions always been, the directions have been clear from day one. Be competitive, accumulate assets, trade for a star. That has been a direction. Everything they have done has been in that direction for the goal of bringing in the star. Everything they've done. That's the direction. So I'm with Chris. When people say, like, we need to tell us what direction is, have you been paying attention? Again, Literally, just action, watch, like, watch, the, watch the, the games. <laughs> watch the games and then listen to what the front office says and then, like, Listen to the reports that come out that the front office gives to those reporters to put out there. Like the Knicks literally are handing us the answers. Berman just said to watch out for Shea Gilgis Alexander and Devin Booker. Do you think that's random? No. They know that half of the that one Donovan Mitchell 
is not wearing orange and blue right now. So they put out two names of guys that they're going to try to go out there and get in Devin Booker and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And what do people say? Oh, it's Berman, though. Like it's Ber- Yeah, it's the guy who has a direct in with our head coach. Like, what are we doing here? We listen to you know whatever reports back people's agendas. Those are all true, and those reporters are the best. And then when something comes out that people don't want to believe, oh, it's this reporter and it's this guy, and oh, you can't tr-. like you, you, can't, you can't. I'm glad somebody finally said it. Finally, like somebody finally said it because Berman doesn't get that respect. I get he be a lot like go crazy he's with some of his takes, but Berman be on point. He's an instigator. He's, he's an instigator, and he's paid. He was paid to do it. It was his job. It was his job to do that. So like, he, like like Macri always says, he's in on the bit. Yeah, that's because he is the bit. That guy's job is the bit. So like. That's why he's in on the bit. It, it, the, the, the stuff that very clearly comes from Tibbs very clearly comes from Tibbs. When Berman has a, some random-ass unnamed NBA scout on who's like, well, R.J. Barrett may never average seven points a game in the league because he doesn't have a right hand, you, you just scroll past. It's okay. You know, you'll live another day. And, you know, does it stink that maybe, like, the only certain people have access because of things, uh, you know, Sean and I talked about earlier? Sure. But, like, teams always are going to leak to certain people. Just it, it was the way it was right now. Now Berman's no longer the reporter. Things will be different. <laughs> you know, like, I just got to just move on, see how it goes. Absolutely. Trippy, um, one, uh, you, you want to wrap up and then we'll go to um, I-95? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, the last thing that I just, you know, just want to ask y'all is, uh, you know, going into the season with the roster that we currently have, the way it's constructed, What what is, like, a – I would say, what is it like a trade deadline type of move would you do? Would you stay put, depending on how it goes? Would you still try to make a move if it was up to y'all? Like, what would y'all do during that time frame? Uh, listen, man, I don't. It, it would really depend on the way in which the team is struggling. So, like, uh, for example, say we're good and we're good with the kids – Offload a veteran if, they, if you know whatever that whatever that is. Uh, if we're good this season and it's just like a regular good, I wouldn't go make some like dramatic upgrade at the deadline. You're not winning a championship this year because you add a Jeremy Grant caliber player to this team. Like it's just not happening. So what I would say is, if they're bad, <laughs> um, definitely look to move off veterans and look to just play play the kids. Do that shift that the Knicks like to do at the end of the year where they start playing kids in more prominent roles, just do it earlier. Just rip the Band-Aid off. If that involves firing Thibodeau, if he refuses to do it, tell him, listen, you're getting fired anyway. You want to get fired now or later. He'll, he'll be, he'll, you know, he might say now. Just do it. They have Bryant for that reason. Uh, Bryant is not an assistant head coach. He is an associate head coach. So that, it's like a way different job, um, and it's a much bigger one. And I believe it was Berman himself put out in an article that if the team has a really slow start, like they have had internal discussions about potentially turning to Bryant, which we know Tibbs and Berman have a you know relationship, so he's not going to flat out say they're willing to dump him and move on. But he dressed it up, so that's basically what he said. Like we're not in some universe where where Leon Rose is tied to Tom Thibodeau to this extent. Um, I always say this, you know, I'm, I if you want to be, uh, I, I say like you know a, a, an asshole about it and just like view players like GMs have to at times and just say, hey, well, these are trade assets to me right now because I'm at that stage of the season, which I think is you know, obviously not ever a way to look at it. But if that's what it takes for you to understand this, Leon Rose is 
assets that he's acquired are getting devalued like big time by this coach that he hired. So he's going to have to pick one or the other, and I'm pretty sure he's picking the like eight draft picks he's made or whatever it is, six guys he's picked over one head coach that he can very clearly see might not fit this team anymore. Um, I really think it's that simple. Well said. Well said. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey guys, quick break to tell you about Factor. Factor makes it easy to eat clean 24-7 with fresh, never frozen, prepared meals that are so delicious you wouldn't believe they're actually good for you. Factor saves you time by delivering chef-crafted meals to your doorstep, eliminating the hassle of grocery shopping and meal prep. Not to mention cleanup, no dishes to wash here. Each Factor meal arrives pre-prepared and ready to eat in two minutes. That's even faster than ordering in. Factor tackles the tough stuff so I don't have to. Their registered dietitians and expert chefs work hand-in-hand to create meals with nutritious ingredients. And with 29 meal options each week, I'm never bored. Going off script for this next part to tell you just how convenient and delicious I've found Factor. My to-do list is usually never ending. I rarely have time for meal prep. When Factor sent me a box to test out, I chose the extra protein option. They sent me a week's worth of meals and I had no idea just how convenient this was going to be. Each meal comes pre-prepared. You just put it in the microwave for two minutes, wait another two minutes for it to cool down, and boom, in four minutes, my meal is ready, and it's delicious as well. Last night while I was editing this podcast, I heated up the pork shepherd's pie with white cheddar Yukon mash and roasted green beans. Not only was the prep time not existent, but I was able to get a lunch break in and still get the podcast out for all of you to hear without taking a significant break. They have plenty of other meal options as well. There's vegan and veggie meals, keto, low-calorie options, cold-pressure juices, smoothies, energy bites, plant-based bars, extra protein, the one I chose, veggie sides, and more to keep you fueled and focused all day long. Don't hesitate. Head to go.factor75.com slash filmschool130 and use promo code filmschool130 to get $130 off across six boxes. 
That's filmschool130 at go.factor75.com slash filmschool130 for $130 off. All right. Thank you, uh, Trippy. Appreciate you. Um, next, we'll go on to I-95 Bully. Uh, your thoughts on the front office and the conundrum they've placed themselves in and the decisions that they've made to floor yours. Hey, what's going on? You know, I, I really don't think it's a conundrum. As Chris said, the plan has been telegraphed from, from day one. You know, we, we constantly hear, you know, player development, but there's a difference between player development and asset appreciation. You know, there are two different things. And it's to me, at least, and maybe you can give me your thoughts. It's clear as day, player development is not really a thing with this front office. You know, I think they're okay with being a 37 to 40 win team until they're able to acquire the star. Because, you know, that's the only way this team is going to get better. And you, we can look at the draft, and this team is never going to be good enough to have a, a high lottery pick with Tom Thibodeau as a coach. It's just not going to happen. And they proved to us last year that they're not willing to tank. And as far as uh, the, the media policy and, and the uproar, where at in the NBA does the, the front office come out and just say, yeah, I'm going to start this second-year guy over this nine-year guy. Even though we as fans may think, well, it's the right thing to do, you're not going to come out and say it. And if you look at what Leon Rose said last year on his interview with Mike Breen, you can disregard it. Everything that he said to Alan Hahn, you can completely disregard it because he telegraphed their plan when they were willing to include RJ in the trade, which, to be honest, I really didn't have a, a problem with it. You know, I, I love RJ. He's my favorite player. But honestly, I think the front office views RJ as a means to an end. And they proved that when they were willing to put him in the trade and also include draft capital on top of it. So for me, I really don't have a problem with the front office. You know, we hear fans say, pick a side, pick a direction. Honestly, I think they're choosing to stay on the treadmill until that star becomes available. And to be honest, if the treadmill is 37 to 40 wins, uh, I'm not too upset at it. I mean, it is mediocrity, and I don't like mediocrity, but I really believe that it's just a means to an end. And if you look back at the, the draft, at Leon's first draft, when they drafted Obi, you know, that signal like, well, hey, maybe we will do player development. And then Julius had that outlier season, and that threw every single thing off in my opinion, at least, where they had to run the back last year. And then, you know, you hear some fans say, well, we should have traded him at the All-Star break or this or that. We know when it comes to the Knicks that, unfortunately, perception matters. What would have been the narrative if we would have traded Randall at the All-Star break? Now, I, I, was telling Cedric the, I was telling Cedric the same thing early. Like, if this team traded Randall at the All-Star break, it would have been – this is the best player the Knicks have had since Pat since Carmelo Anthony, and they just shipped them away. They don't know what they're doing. It would have been it would have been awful. Like hindsight is so twenty twenty. Exactly, and if you look at uh, content day, I mean, and you guys um, touched on it earlier. I'm sorry, I've been in and out a little bit. But what were they going to say? What were they going to do? I mean, if you go around and you look at every other team's content or their media day. Not much really came out of it. I mean, you heard a few clippets here and there with DeAndre Ayton. But outside of that, what really came out of it? And it's like with our our Knicks fans, 
you know, we have to take a step back and look at the NBA as a whole. You know, we constantly say we want the Knicks to do this. We want the Knicks to do that. They don't do half this stuff anywhere else in the NBA that we want our, our front office and our coach to do. So to be, I don't agree with all the moves, but I understand the logic and the rationale behind it. I'm out. Nah, man. I, I thank you. I appreciate that. Like for me, the um. So I'll say this: I don't think they want. I don't think mediocrity for them is thirty-seven wins. Um, and even if it was thirty-seven wins in this conference, doesn't get you in the playoffs. It would have or got get you in the play. It would have in past years. It doesn't anymore, right? So I think they absolutely. They're a nice seed. Well, think well. Think about this. They won thirty-seven last year, and they were eleventh. So they would have now. I think they would absolutely sign up for forty-one. Of, I think they would absolutely sign up for forty-one and forty-one until they can get a star. And honestly, that's worked because that's literally what Houston did until they got James Harden. But can I ask you a question, be- Sean? Yes, sir. So you mentioned um, finishing around the five hundred mark. Would it behoove the, the Knicks to say, well, you know what? We don't want to win 37 games. We either want to win 25 or we want to win 45. And it, it's so drastic. It's a big it's a big stretch between 25 and 45. But it, to me, if the Knicks are a 30 to 35 win team, maybe even 37 like, you, like we mentioned, they're still going to be attractive. They, they, they cannot tank because you're not going to be attractive. And I went through the list of the top 15 players in the NBA just last night. And I said, how many teams actually tanked for these players? Like, they didn't tank for Giannis. They didn't tank for Curry. And, you know, Brooklyn, even though it was a trade, there was no, no tank involved. These teams, they were being competitive. So I, I'm not against the, the whole tanking thing, but I quite don't I, – I just don't understand it. I, I think some people, some people like use the words "tank" and "losing" interchangeably. Like Detroit didn't tank for Kay Cunningham; they were just bad. Like the, their coaches were trying to win games; they were just bad. Very few teams actually say like go into a season saying, you know, pull a complete OKC or a complete process and say, "All right, we're going to be bad from day one." Um, but with that being with that being said. It's funny you brought up about the, the difference between 25 and 45 wins because that's actually what Johnson Macri had said. Uh, he said on a prior episode of Nick's Film School a few, uh, few episodes ago, he said he wants our win total either needs to start with a two or starts with a four. Because it starts with a four, that means his team compet- is competitive, they're good, and, you know, all right, that's good. If it starts with a two, that means they stunk and they're going to get a five, they're going to be a lottery pick five to seven. If it starts with a three, that is the no man's land that you do not want to be in. And you see the tweet that I posted on Jumbotron about how, from my man Cedric, like, it looks like this roster is too good to be terrible, but too terrible to be good. So, if they're going to be, if they're going to try to be competitive, I'm not against trying to be competitive. I don't think tanking is the end-all solution that people make it out to be, but your plan has to work. Because their plan wasn't to win 37 games last year. Their plan was to be in the playoffs again, and they didn't do that. Um, and then when they had the opportunity to to say, all right, like I said it earlier, after the Nets game, they should have said, this ain't working. Let's play the kids and see what happens. Not necessarily tank. Play the kids, see what happens. If they stink, 
We know where we stand with these kids, and we'll get a lottery pick. And if they don't stink, hey, we're building on something here. But I don't think like this. I don't think Mr. Dolan would stand for another thirty for another thirty-seven win season again. Um, I'm like, I don't think he would, especially if it's based on Julius Randle going ten of twenty-three from the field, but getting his twenty ten and five. And 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 Evan Fournier playing tons of minutes, and 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 you know Obi Toppin playing nine minutes a game. Can okay, actually uh, last question, Sean. My bad, man. Last question. No, but listen, we uh, listen. We we got. I ain't got nothing else to do. I'm in my house <laughs> watching. Well, oh, me too, man. I'm sitting here with my daughter in my arms right now. <laughs> but um, you mentioned 45 wins for me. I'm I'm not too interested in. Like, the wins, I mean, for me, if it's going to be 45 wins, I want it to be on the backs of the younger players. If it's a 45 wins on the back of Evan, Julius, and Rose, I'm, I'm not too interested because, to me, that, that's a path to nowhere. If we're winning 45 games with them being the, the cohorts or the, the stalwarts, that, that, that's, not, that's not for me. If it's going to be 45 wins, do it off of the back of the, the younger players. But... um. Do you think there's a difference between the 45 wins? Which which would you prefer, or does it even matter to you? Oh, I'm with you 100%. Um, if I actually said this a while back, I said if because someone was saying I'm a fi- I'm gonna find a tweet. Um, if you know, like they were like it wasn't it was in support of Julius, and it said if um, maybe Julius can revert to his um, 2021 form and. I said, if he were to revert to his 2021 form, that would be low-key the worst possible outcome for this team. Because it's... If that were to happen, my, my fear is that this front office would be like, hey, see? Look! Julius, he wasn't as bad as... Last year was an aberration. This is who Julius really is. And and because I think I've said it for years, like I don't think you'll see the best RJ Barrett until Julius Randle's off the team. I don't think you'll see. We know you're not gonna see the best Obi Toppin until Julius Randle's off the team. So if we win 45 games because Julius Randle turns back to Larry Bird again, and I say Larry Bird because Larry Bird because there are only three players in history of the league to average uh, 20, 10, and five on 40 percent three point shooting, and it's Larry Bird, Julius Randle, and Nicole Jokic. If he turns to Larry Bird again, like. All the door of this development stuff out the window because I don't see this. I don't see this front office saying, "All right, we got this guy. He he he's back in all star form. Let's flip him." I don't see it. So what I'm hopeful for is that he does have that kind of season, and then after the first month, they find someone to take him. They're not going to do it. They're not. I I don't wishful thing. I don't know if you wishful. believe this. I if 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 he returns to his all star level season caliber, this front office will not trade him because every time they've had a chance to trade him, they've never done it. When they first got there, they didn't trade him. When when they drafted Obi Top, they didn't trade him. When he was an all star, they didn't trade him. When they could have got like at every opportune moment, they have never traded this guy. So I do not think. Well, listen, if they weren't going to trade him when he's this garbage, when he was after what happened last year, I I just don't see it. I will hope they prove me wrong, but I don't see it. So you you mentioned that they had multiple opportunities to trade him. Um, me personally, I only really see one opportunity that was during the All Star season. 
Um, nobody was going to take him after that first year because he still had two years on his contract. And then last year he had the, the epic meltdown. So I think like this off season, they may have had a chance, but they, I don't believe, I don't know for a fact, but I don't believe they were willing to attach, you know, additional draft picks or attach a Cam Reddish in order to move him. So I, I think they're going to be, you're stuck. Like he has to have a bounce back season. Um, Cause if not, it's going to turn into a Buddy Hill situation where you're going to have to have him on the team for another year or two after that. And then that's impending doom because, you know, and I'll stop talking after this point, you know, this off season coming up, if the team stays as constructed, you have quickly, you have Obi, you have Reddish. I can't see this front office extending three players off of a rookie uh, contract. So for me, this deadline, there's going to be shakeups one way or the other. They're not going to take all. They're not going to take Obi and quickly into their fourth year, because if you do that, I have a feeling that that Obi, he's going to reject that uh, that extension. He's going to have to play on a qualifying offer. So for me, I don't see all three of those kids being on this team past the trade deadline. I don't want that. But if we're talking, you know, NBA business, and uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Jay from Florida, he always, he, he's been saying a lot lately, reset the rookie scale contracts, which I, I don't necessarily agree with. Oh, man. But, no, no, I, I, I don't agree with. I, I, I don't. Don't quote that guy, man. No, uh, no, I'm just just for a point of reference. That's all. But um, I don't know. When he says, wait, when he says reset the wait, when he says reset the rookie scale contract, what is what is he talking about? He's saying, who cares about what talent we have on the team if they're paid less? Oh yeah, I, I, can't, I can't get with that. <laughs> well, well, no, you you need players because I'm not so much in a rush to trade Evan Fournier because he that won't. 17, 18, 19 million dollars, you can need that in the trade. You're going to need it. But w- do you guys think that these, these three kids are going to be here past the trade deadline? And does it make sense from a business point of view to pay three kids rookie-scale contracts? I'm not sure how often it happens in the NBA. I haven't looked you at mean, it. Oh, you mean we, we rookie extensions? Yeah, Ob- Ob's yeah. do. Uh, so it's Ob quickly, quickly and, Grime. And, and, Grime. and Cam. And, and Cam. And Cam. Um, I don't think well, Cam is going to be here, but... Do you see all those guys being on the team past the trade deadline? Um, well, so don't think. Okay, so Cam is extension eligible now. So Cam is is, is, is eligible for extension now. He is. Whereas Obi and Quickly are extension eligible next summer. As I open the door and get my DoorDash right. order. Yeah. Um. So I don't think. Yes, I don't think all three of them be on the team after. The, I, I no, I and I we all think that Cam will be the guy to go. Um, yeah, that that's the thing is like Ob and IQ are are here to stay from from all accounts. So, uh, you know, the team has looked into moving Randall this summer. Uh, I heard much much earlier in the summer that it probably wasn't going to happen because they were having trouble finding a suitor with the contract. Uh, with how many years are left on it? You know, it's not the amount of dollars; it's the years. It's, it's all. It's you know, the, the money. You can always make the money work. It's the years. So yeah, there was an interest in taking him on, unless they uh, threw in draft picks with him, which was not something the Knicks were looking into doing. So they continued to play out the summer, looking for deals that would involve moving him at a, either like a neutral value or any sort of positive one. 
wasn't on the table. So, you know, they're they're preparing to have him on the team for a couple weeks now. They've been preparing to have him on the team because they just don't think they're going to find a suitor. Then Charlotte... Hey, stop, stop. Oh, sorry, guys. i got to go. Charlotte... I, I don't know why he had to unmute his mic to tell us. All right. Anyway, uh, thanks. Thanks, man. We'll, uh, we'll catch you. Um, listen, Charlotte, you know, unfortunately popped up uh, as a as a potential spot, but they don't seem to be interested. So yeah, that that's just how that's going to go. You know, it seems like Randall's going to be on the roster game one. It doesn't mean that they're not still going to look into moving him. It doesn't mean that they don't prefer Obi to Randall. If you like, I, I can tell you right now, if you ask the front office, they could keep one, who would it be? It would be Obi. Like there's no world that this front office prefers Randall. Everyone's like, Oh, well they extended Randall. He's like CAA family. Like, all right. Man, that's just like just looking for stuff to complain about at that point. They, they like Obi more than Randall. It's just a matter of can they find a suitor for Randall? They were not able to, so that's why Obi's going to be stuck on the bench again because uh, Tibbs has determined from the sixteen or seventeen minutes that Obi and Randall played together that were not in garbage time that the pairing doesn't work. So you know, even though those minutes were with Kemba and with guys that he himself thinks are bad. Uh, that you know, those 18 minutes or whatever it is is apparently sufficient for his analytics and his facts to show that they're not good together. So if they're not going to play together, then Obi's stuck on the bench for now. And I finally found the tweet. Um, the Knicks being a top six seed due to a Randall bounce back year will be the worst possible outcome for this team in the long term. Because And I wish he was still here. I would tell him because he said that they never. They only had the only chance they had to trade Randall was the All Star. They could have traded Randall in the off in the twenty twenty off season, like right before, before or after they drafted Obi, but beforehand. And I believe, and I have to go back and look, is that the best they could have gotten for him was a second round pick. And I always find it, I always find it ironic. And this is something I've always said. Like I think the Achilles heel of this front office is that they value value above all. So they, you know, they they they, they take the, you know, Leon, the, the, the Rose administration comes in, they draft Obi Toppin, which means, okay, the writing should be on the wall for Julius, but they're like, well, you know, we can't, we can only get a second round pick for him. Let's keep him, rehab his value, and then we'll trade him. And then he turns to Larry Bird. But then at that point, it's, we can't trade this guy now. Look at him. He's found money. He's an all-star. He might be all NBA. We got a piece, we got a piece to build around. So they extend him. And then he has the year he has last year. And his value goes to the tank to the point where now you'd probably have to attach an asset to get off of Randall. And what are they saying? We can't trade Randall now. Like Chris just told you, like they had trouble moving their contract. And they probably don't want to attach a pick to it. So now it's like... We can't trade Randall now. His value is his. At, we can't trade Randall now. Where his value is this is this low? Let's rehab his value, and then we'll move. And then what? Me will move him. And then so that's why I say I don't say God forbid, but if he had a bounce back year, and if even if he had, if he shot thirty seven percent from three, and did twenty ten five, and thirty seven percent from three is league average. I do not believe that this front office would be like. Yes, now we can flip him. It'll be, all right, hey, look, see, look, he's back. He's back. Last year was the aberration, not the year before. Let's keep, let's, let, let's keep him. Um, so I, I, 
don't think, and the irony is that 30, 35 is league average. 35. 35. Okay. If he shoots 35%, I, I say that to say, I don't think that, like, the irony is that they, because they didn't want to trade him because they perceived his value to be the lowest in 2020, has now why they can't trade him now when his value is even lower. And I don't know, like, what is, like, what would have to happen for them to trade him? Like, unless somebody comes along and go, and, and goes full uh, Rudy Gobert and just offers something that is just, yeah. like, like so, that's it. I'll say that we're in a very what have you done for me recently and not what have you done for me all time league. And this league is a copycat league, you know, like all others. Um, teams want to see it. Teams want to see it. So if the goal is to sell Randall to a contender for picks in exchange for getting OB, you know, a starting role and all that, the contender will be receiving Randall and either starting him in a, in a complimentary role or bringing him off the bench as a sixth man, which I don't think he would accept at all. So that given, you know, um, it's kind of like if, if that's what's going to happen with those other teams, they want to see it happen on the Knicks. And so now the Knicks have two players with bigger contracts than Julius Randle, whether Randle likes it or not, R.J. Barrett is officially worth more than him for, you know, however you want to take that. I don't think average salaries, the be-all, end-all to evaluate players, um, but R.J. Barrett's deal is now bigger than, than Randle's is. And Jalen Brunson also making, I think, more money next year than, than Randle is because his contract is descending. So however you want to see that. Um, Randall's going to have to really learn that if he either wants to go somewhere else or he wants to stay in New York and have it work out instead of him being so angry all the time with the, the situation for various reasons, uh, then there's got to be some effort on his end to do some dirty work, grab some rebounds, box out, get out on the perimeter for defense. You know, like uh, some stuff's got to happen. Um, and I, I think it can happen because in Julius's world, he thinks it can happen. He's saying before this season that, you know, from his perspective, he thinks this can work with this group of guys, that it's not a selfish group. I guess that's him just taking shots at Kemba. He said that, uh, you know, now they, 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 he said, you know, we made some additions, whatever, clearly Brunson, Hartenstein, like he, he likes the additions of the players. Um, if he thinks it can work and he's who really needs to make it work, then for whatever reason, I, I, uh, I'm going to have to just hope for the best here. So we'll see. But, I, you know, he's not getting traded until teams see him in the role they want to use him in. Factually correct. Factually correct. Um, that's all I got. And my DoorDash food just came. And my family's like, come eat. And I'm like, I'm busy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm ready to wrap this. We can wrap this up. Um, Me too. Hey, let's do it. <laughs> All right. Well, big shout out to you, Chris. Thanks for co-hosting with me. Big shout out to everyone who pulled up. Um, everyone who's still in this space now. Papa left. I see you. Bankai, Khalil, JP, Jada Wakandan, Nick's Homer, um, and Paz. You know, all the people have been riding out with me from, you know, on the spaces from day one. Uh, appreciate you. Appreciate everyone pulled up. Uh, you know, we'll be back. We'll figure out a schedule. You know, we'll figure it out. Um, and to wrap up, the last thing I'll say is, uh, you know, as a Knicks community, we all do not have the same ideas. We don't, we don't have the same thoughts. We don't have the same beliefs, but that's okay. And that's accepted. 
Because if everyone in the room is thinking the same thing, no one is thinking. So please, we absolutely positively welcome differences of opinion. We may argue, we may disagree, we may be yelling at each other. I yell at people all the time. I'm getting better at it. But, you know, we welcome any and all, you know, opinions because, you know, it's good health discourse is healthy when it's nuanced and it is context and what have you. Um, so with that being said, again, thanks everyone everyone for pulling up to the first episode of KFS Study Hall. Uh, we will see you sooner rather than later. Have a good night. Enjoy your weekend. Uh, be safe and please avoid the bookings because it is Friday night. You don't want to you don't want to end up there. Peace. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.